Come on. If you... Uh, if you're with us today, and even if you're online and you would like to, we, we won't be able to see you online, but if you'd like to stand, just let us know that you are a veteran. Would you do that? Come on. Please. We bless you. We bless you guys. Bless you. Thank you. Man, I, I'm really uh, blessed uh, when I look at you and how thankful we are for you. I, I would not, uh, I would not be able to express my thanksgiving to you appropriately if it were not for Jesus, because He laid His life down for me, and I once that once that revelation hit, I recognized the cost that you guys were willing to pay to set other people free or keep them free. So we give, come on, let's give them another thank you. Bless you guys. Well, as many of you know, uh, my son is uh, preaching today in, uh, in Warren. Uh, and starting next week, my wife and I will be on assignment uh, helping a church in Parma. It's gonna be a little bit of a drive but we'll be up there for the next several months helping them while they're without a pastor until they get a new pastor. I, uh, I was kind of smiling a few minutes ago when uh, Will mentioned about bees. I don't know if you remember, but years ago, <laughs> years ago, we had a hornet issue going on in here, and, and one landed in my wife's hair. And I said, don't move. And I grabbed some stuff, and I wrapped it up, and I went down. I said, don't move. Everybody was quiet, and I went, bam! <laughs> I got that bee, but I also got a lot of other things afterwards. <laughs> I, uh, I've been known historically in my personality that I don't often look uh, at, at where I'm jumping before I jump or... And I, I wish I had the ability to take that back. Um, one of the things that's kind of a little on the humorous side is I was sitting there just kind of giggling a minute ago. You didn't, you didn't have to know the backstory. There's hardly been one day that I've preached in the last 35-plus years that my wife hasn't said, puts her hand on my leg or on my shoulder. She says, now remember... Do not come out like you're shot out of a cannon. And I said, okay. So she hadn't said a word until one second before I come up. She turns to me and she says, now chill. Don't, re don't come out like a cannon. You know, come, come, can, you just, can you just know this woman really loves you? She's trying to protect you from what God is going to do. Oh, <laughs> uh, Hey. Good to see my grandsons and my granddaughters and everybody here today. I just really appreciate you guys. Thank you for being here. Um, one of the great privileges that anyone would have, and Pastor Homer certainly knows this, is to stand behind a, a sacred a pulpit. Nothing, I mean, it's steel, but it's in the place of sacred ground, like this is holy ground. And so we want to... Uh, care for this by being uh, 
very careful with what God has to say. So I'm going to ask that you would pray with me that today we'll have ears to hear and a heart to perceive what it is that God is saying. Can we do that? So, Father, thank you for the privilege of this moment. I recognize, Lord, uh, it, it is truly sacred, and I, I don't want to touch this without holy hands. And so I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I ask that you would glorify yourself, that the truth would set people free, both those who are lost and those who are found. We pray this in the matchless and mighty and the strong name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen. As, we, uh, as we enter in headlong into the word of God, I, I want you to know that there are two very specific purposes that I want to share at the beginning so that we have, uh, <laughs> so that, we have that in mind. Can I tell you one other thing? Uh, you wonder where Jordan gets his ADHD? Well, follow the, follow the ticker here. But uh, I was out in the, in the lobby, and I'm about ready to get one of these big 16-ounce glasses of coffee. And the precious greeter says to me, you are preaching this morning. I said, yeah. He said, you might not want to drink that because you're going to be dancing before that sermon is over. And I said, oh, you, you, are, say, you just saved me. So thank you, my friend. You're very thoughtful. Okay. Two points. If you're presently lost, meaning you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord wants you to listen very carefully concerning just how much Father God loves you. In fact, that he sent his only son to die for you so that you could be with him. And Jesus loves you enough to actually do it. Come on, say amen. amen. If you're presently, or the other um, point is if you're presently saved, you have a personal relationship, but maybe you have forgotten just how lost you once were. The Lord is going to be speaking to us about our stewardship of the gospel. Amen? You ready for this? I want to begin with a little history lesson. Herod the Great served under the Roman Emperor's command in the region of Capernaum, which included Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And although morally perverse, Herod the Great accumulated great wealth and great power, which he exercised mercilessly. He killed members of his own family. He killed people, anybody that got in his way to accomplishing his end. He even killed, if you recall, the children of Bethlehem, two years, uh, boys in particular, two years and younger in an effort to try and kill infant Jesus, the king, soon-to-be king of Israel. Come on, say amen. That's who Herod the Great was. Well, Matthew, the apostle and writer of the first gospel, actually became a tax collector under the reign of Herod's notorious son, Herod Antipas. 
Herod Antipas was even more morally corrupt and perverted and ethically bankrupt than his father. If you recall, he had John the Baptist beheaded simply because a provocative dancer requested it. I say a bit of history to help us understand how hated men like Matthew must have been. Because he served under Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was uh, uh, the, uh, the leader at the time, and he required payment and tribute from the Jews. And the Jews were just incensed that anyone who was one of them, born a Jew, would be working for the likes of Herod Antipas to collect taxes from them. Jews like Matthew, who made themselves instruments of this disgrace, were counted among the vilest of the vile, the scum of the earth. In fact, they were given the name publican. They were often identified and spoken of among society's most detestable. Could have been prostitutes, could have been murderers, and the like. Needless to say, Matthew was in the pit in the eyes of all Orthodox Jews. Publicans like Matthew became, in fact, outcasts of all society except their own disgusting class. No decent man would partake of their food, entertain them at his table, or ever have them enter their home. People like Matthew were not allowed to even enter a synagogue or a temple. They were not allowed to take part in public prayers. No offerings from them were accepted at the temple, and their testimony was not allowed in any cause of jurisprudence. Isn't that amazing? He he couldn't even give a testimony in court about something. These guys were the pits. Jewish by birth, but corrupt, greedy, and evil by nature, publicans were considered notoriously unscrupulous thieves. They betrayed not only the Jewish nation, but friends and even family. And you might ask, why? Well, obvious for the love of money. You know, the love of money causes us all to do some pretty strange things. How often have you read something about how family members either kill or go to court over an inheritance? The love of money. Hmm. Maybe some of us were like that. Maybe some of us were like Matthew. The love of money is still one of the greatest compromisers of the world in terms of Christian discipleship. To hold people accountable nowadays for not paying tithes or not giving offerings or not being involved in some kind of of act of mercy, well, we just don't hold anybody accountable for that. Even though the Lord says, you know, you're robbing me, preachers just don't want to go there. We We don't want to make people feel upset. Well, that bit of history concerning Matthew ought to set the stage for a greater appreciation of what was about to take place. So follow me. If you'd like, you can look on your own Bibles or your own phones or whatever, but I'll have the screens 
give you the, the, uh, the scriptures this morning. Matthew 9, 9 says this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. And I'm thinking, oh, come on. I mean, how often have I wished life's decisions were as simple as that verse implicates? You know, he's going to just get up and go and follow. You see, Jesus walks by. He says to this reprobate, follow me, and off Matthew goes. But there's a subtlety of information that's given in the next gospel, uh, our Luke's gospel, I should say. Luke 5.27, uh, Levi is often used interchangeably for the, word, for the name Matthew. And it says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? He just gets up and leaves everything? Don't underestimate the significance of those words. I mean, I hardly think it was his love for Christ. He probably didn't even know Jesus, except what he heard by rumor or gossip, who this Jesus guy was. So it wasn't because, oh, I love you so much, I'm going to leave everything and follow you. I think it's far more likely that it was his amazement that Christ would want him to be his friend. That he would somehow see him and see enough in him, worthy enough that he would want him to be his disciple. Now, there, there are some of the commentaries said that uh, Matthew, like the tax collector, or John, or Peter, or James, who were... Uh, fisherman or Simon, who was a zealot. I mean, all these guys grew up Orthodox Jews. How did they end up in those professions? Well, chances are good. Mama's little boy was unable to memorize the entire Pentateuch. Math, or, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Have all that memorized plus 600, 600 other laws? I don't think so. I remember the first day in Bible class down at Southeastern. First day. The professor turns out a sheet of paper, and it's got 25 scriptures on it. I began to sweat. You know, like, I have to have these memorized in nine weeks? I can't do that. And so I came up to him after class, and I said, I, I just want you to know I, I've done my share of stuff before I, I got saved, and my mind is kind of messed up a little bit. And so uh, I'm going to find it pretty challenging to memorize these 25 verses by the end of this semester or this quarter. And he says, oh, no, no, that's due the end of this week. I go, what? <laughs> 25 scriptures? Ah, no way. And... Uh, Oh, thank the Lord he got me through that. But anyway, chances are good that all these men aspiring to be rabbis, be disciples of someone, failed. 
And so they end up going to all these other, uh, other occupations. And now someone like Jesus comes along and he says to Matthew, Matthew, follow me. Matthew, what? Out of sheer amazement and wonder that Jesus would actually want him, knowing who he was, what he was doing, that he had a second chance to be what he always maybe wanted to be but never could. I'll take that. And he left everything and went. I wonder if there's a principle that could be involved in that. Out of our amazement and wonder that Jesus would know us, knowing what we've done, where we've been, who we've been with, and all that we've said, and even worse, all that we've thought, and he still wants us. Out of that amazement, if the principle was intact, we would leave everything and follow him? Is that, is that remotely possible? Well, it was his unhesitant, uncalculated decision to follow Christ immediately that in my mind was Matthew's broken alabaster jar of perfume moment. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with that, an immoral, uh, most likely prostitute woman had come in uh, and just prior to Jesus going to the cross, she kneels down at his feet, uninvited into this house, came in and broke this alabaster jar of perfume worth over a year's wages. And when you know her profession, that meant it cost her an awful lot. And she breaks it and pours it out on the feet of Jesus. Kind of a reckless act of love. I wonder if Matthew's response was his alabaster to the Lord. And I'm asking myself, do we have alabaster moments where we're not counting the costs, you know, we're not, we're not calculating what's it going to cost me to be obedient, what it's going to cost me to lavish a, an expression of love upon the Lord. Are we always counting the cost? Well, what's it going to, you know, what's it going to cost me? Ought we not to have these fragrant moments mark us? I'm wondering if Jesus has been marked by our alabaster gift. Matthew 9, 10. Shall we read? Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Do you recall a minute ago I said, no decent person would be found dead in a home of Matthew, a tax collector. Only the other ilk of his kind would ever be found in that place. And yet Jesus and his disciples following him head right to Matthew's house. The version I uh, selected uses, used the word disreputable sinners. Do you see that? Disreputable sinners? Well, that word comes from the root word harmartia, which means to miss the mark or it means sin. And the word is actually harmatilios. It is, and it means one who is a deviant, 
erring from divine law, sinful, wicked, impious, more wicked than all others. That, that was, by the way, that was Matthew's reputation. It refers to those who live oblivious to the consequences of sin. Well, that was me, and that was us prior to our encounter with Jesus. Who live conscious free, conscience free, in spite of obvious guilt. I mean, <laughs> you got to know, disreputable is disreputable. Come on, say amen. So, uh, Matthew was a social pariah in Capernaum, and the only guests he could assemble were, like himself, outcasts, prostitutes, thieves, deviants, others whose sins were blatant and obvious. So, do we have the setting? Do we have, are we setting this thing up so we can figure the magnanimity of what was taking place? Matthew 9, 11 goes on to say, when the Pharisees saw this, that means the church, those that were officially charged with, you know, keeping the law, and they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Matthew 9 says, 13, and he added, now, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. For I have not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So Matthew gets up, leaves everything, and follows a man who's standing up and challenging the religious righteous, self-righteous church, and he is sitting down at a meal with those that were the scum of the earth. Well, his knowledge of Jesus was sketchy at best, most likely information, like I said, that was gathered from rumor, but his impulsive and reckless abandonment to follow Christ reveals a pattern for all of us. And yet, I wonder, how many of us would have done something similar? Like, how can I leave my work? I must hand over my papers to Herod. He could have said that. He could have said, Jesus, just, oh, oh I'm so blessed. But can you wait a little bit? I got to hand my papers in to Herod. Oh, by the way, I have to pack. I have to go home, tell my family what's happening. And, uh, and, 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 and so I want you to, I've got a hundred things to wind up, but I'll be right there. Luke 9, 57 says this. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, you know, the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. So you better think about what you're saying. To another, Jesus said, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, did you notice, but, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Wow, that's, that's a pretty important task. Jesus said, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Notice this. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. In case you ever 
wondered about what God has in terms of an expectation of any of us who have come to knowledge. <laughs> Listen, our first duty is to preach the gospel wherever we go. And if we have to, even use words. Who can say amen? So, listen to this now. Follow this alone. Let the spiritually dead bury their dead. That's, that's kind of ruthless, isn't it? Another said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but first, let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. I, I say to myself, that seems so harsh of the Lord. I mean, how do we put that in perspective? Well, I did a little background study on that because I was taken back as well as I reread this. In first century uh, Judaism, in fact, not necessarily just Judaism, but in that culture, uh, someone would die like your parents, let's say, would die, and you would bury your mom or your dad or whoever, but you would bury them in a tomb whose stone could be rolled away. It would be one of those tombs that uh, had access to it. A year later, you would come back and bury them finally. All, all there was left was just bones. But you would bury them again the second time. That's kind of, I know, it's kind of like. So this guy was, in effect, saying, but Lord, give me a year so that I can bury my dad respectfully. When we're lost, God was last, but now that we're found, he must be first. I never thought of God much at all when I was lost. About the only time I ever really thought of him was when I was cursing and I was using his name. He was always last. Give him money? Are you kidding? When I found out that we were supposed to tithe, I about lost it. That's my hard-earned money. You want me to give this to the church? And the pastor says, well, is, is Jesus worth it? Well, yeah, yeah, but. He says, no, no. I'm just asking you, is he worth it? And so I, I, got, I got it figured out early. I don't want to rob God, and I, I certainly want to be faithful in all that I put my hand to. So we need to look at how many yabuts are in our family, in our experience. We've employed in our responses to Jesus. We use the same thought process as these guys did. Jesus says, go love your neighbors. Yeah, but it's just not a good time. Or let your light shine. Yeah, but I can't do that at work. I'll get fired. I recall preaching a message about 25 years ago. It was called, No Yabuts in Heaven. <laughs> I preached that message based on the words found in Luke chapter 6. Would you want to go there with me for a second? Love your enemies. What? <laughs> Do you know how many fights I had? in bar rooms and pool halls and my brothers and I'm telling you, loving your enemy was not part of the script. Do good to them. What? 
Literally. You gotta be, yeah, but Lord, you don't know. No, yeah, buts in heaven, son. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. What? That's it. You gotta be kidding me. No, yeah, buts in heaven. That's crazy talk. He says, then your reward will be great, and you'll be called, you'll be sons of the Most High, because he, my Father, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked, which I was. Be merciful, just as your Father was merciful. <laughs> Suddenly, I had to change the lens in my glasses. I had to begin to see people the way Jesus saw me instead of seeing people the way I've always looked at people. I'm sure not as bad as that woman. She's a prostitute. I'm not as bad as him. He's a thief. I'm reading from the uh, Message Bible in Matthew 5. says this. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. Listen, when Jesus speaks, it's, it means more than E.F. Hutton. This is serious stuff now. In a word, I'm saying, grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. So let's get back to Matthew. Okay. When Jesus invited, uh, when, or when Matthew invited Jesus to his house for a feast, I believe it was a sincere effort on his part to express how thankful he was that Jesus would treat him with some sense of dignity, unlike all the other so-called righteous people refused to give him. Something he hadn't experienced in his lifetime, if ever. It could also be that he wanted to follow, uh, he, he wanted his fellow reprobates, excuse me, to experience the love and the kindness and the dignity that he experienced. That's why he invited all the rest of the scum. Come on, scum. Come on. We're all in this quagmire together. If he loves me, he'll love you too. If he wanted me, he'll want you too. Come on over to my house and listen to the man who wants me, who accepts me. Wow. <laughs> what a trip. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 reads this. Neither the sexually immoral, number one. Can you guys, maybe, you can, most of us, most of us, I've got a few uncles and a few friends that have lost fingers. My brother just lost three fingers and I... I saw you can't count them all unless you got all ten fingers. But if you got ten, can you just kind of go with me on each finger? Are we ready? Are you following me? Take your hand out so you can follow. Okay. 
Uh, neither the sexually immoral, one, go ahead, you can say it, one, or idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanders, swindlers, none of those guys are going to inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were. But you were washed and sanctified and justified in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Who can say amen? Can you give the Lord a... Come on! Woo! Whoa! Because when I look at that list of ten, I could probably qualify for five. That's bad news. Doesn't he care that I've walked the streets, you might say? Oh, he cares. He cares a lot. Doesn't he care that I've had abortions? Uh-huh. Doesn't he care that I paid for abortions? Oh, yeah. yeah. That I've robbed and lied for drugs, and that I've lived a homosexual lifestyle for years? Yeah. Yeah, he knows. And he cares. Jesus knows all about our dirty laundry, but he's willing to wash us. Completely. Without blemish, he'll present us. Without stain or wrinkle. Romans 10 says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? I just, a few minutes ago, we just read, your duty is to preach the gospel to everyone. So we're all sent. If you're saved, you're sent. Turn to somebody and say, saved equals sent. Saved and sent. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. So, does that mean us? We're everyone. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and the Apostle Paul writes, and I am the worst of them all. Paul! was saying he's worse than Matthew. Matthew was the lowest of the low. How could he say that? But God had mercy on me so that Christ could use me as a prime example of his patience with even the worst sinners. Wow. Then others will realize they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. See, Paul and Matthew had something in common, something I believe the Lord wants all of us to have in common with them. Matthew is the only gospel record that contains the phrase, Matthew the publican. Mark, Luke, and John didn't say that. But Matthew, in his own hand, recognizes who he was and doesn't want the world to ever forget it. Matthew, the publican. 
the morally corrupt reprobate, the unethical thief, the lowest of the low. And Paul says, ha, ha, uh, I'm going to one down you, not one up you, one down you. I'm lower than you, Matthew. I'm the worst. So allow me to close with a short testimony. My daughter Nancy and my son-in-law Damien shared this with me concerning their new friend. And so would you look at the screen as the video comes up? Hey, good morning, Rock of Grace. Uh, my name is Chino Echeverria, and I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia. And Pastor Mark asked me to share my story with you, and I'd be honored to do so. My life began in turmoil in the island of Cuba as my mom was fleeing political persecution and she made her way through migration here to the United States of America. We landed in Miami, Florida. The neighborhood in which we lived in was gang infested, drug infested. By the time I was eight years old, being a sponge, I soaked up everything in my community. I was wrapped up in bad living. By the time I was eight years old, I had been kicked out of two schools. I had been arrested two times. As you fast forward the tape to the age of 19 years old, I had been in jail 13 different times. Bullet holes in my body, my, my neck ripped open, my head split open. I had an 11 month old son. Street living had taken me farther than I wanted to go. I had been in drugs, alcohol, promiscuous living, living a very violent life. At the age of 19 years old, I got arrested for some pretty bad charges due to a gang fight. I remember going to my arraignment at my 21 date and standing in front of the judge, he offered me a plea deal. He said, I'm gonna offer you 90 years. You can take these 90 years or you can go to trial. And if you lose trial, you're gonna be in prison for the rest of your life. Um, I don't know math very well, but I know that that wasn't a good deal. I remember that day though, I went back to my prison dormitory and under some state white linen sheets, I began to have a conversation with God. God, whether I go home today or if I stay here for the rest of my life, I need to change. I just didn't know how. My life up until that point, all I've been taught was santeria, brujeria, witchcraft. And that day, I remember that I was led to a Bible study that was in the prison dormitory. And here are some inmates that opened up the Bible. They spoke the gospel. And for the first time, it's not that I didn't hear the gospel before. It's that I never saw Jesus. I saw him. I understood that he would take my sins. And in exchange for my sins, he would give me his righteousness. I mean, an uneven exchange that he wouldn't just take me, that I was a bad guy and make me good. But I was spiritually dead. I was going to bust hell wide open. And in this moment, he would take my death and he would create life out of it. I remember that moment I accepted Jesus immediately. And it was insane to watch. Five months later, I was teaching in that same Bible study. I began to start a Spanish Bible study. I wish I could tell you that I went home. I actually did five years in prison. But during those five years, the darkest moments of my life, I saw Jesus' light shine the brightest. It was incredible to watch as countless people came to know Jesus, not only because of my story, but also because of the gospel. I got out of prison when I was 24 years old. I met a beautiful woman. We got married. We had three amazing children. We traveled as we preached the gospel, as I told my story. And in 2017, we had this yearning in our heart to start a life-giving church. We didn't know how it was gonna look or where it was gonna be. But in 2017, we left Miami, Florida and we moved to Atlanta, Georgia. It's been five years. In these five years, the very same God that raised Jesus from the dead week after week has been rescuing people who were far from him. It was beautiful to watch as God used my life to tell his story. 
the gospel in its purest form, though it was in, in a very conventional way, when I understood it and I accepted it, it transformed my life. I stand here today because of that story. And I'm so grateful for the Jesus that we serve. I am honored to be able to share my story with you. Again, my name is Chino Echeverria from Atlanta, Georgia. Pastor Mark, thank you so much. Rock of grace, God bless you. And I pray that my story can mean something and can be used for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. Well, Father God, the Bible says repeatedly from Old Testament and New, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Bible makes it very clear. He doesn't want anyone to, to be lost. So much so that he would send his only son so that all could be found. And once found, that you could tell others how it was that Jesus came to save you. And that he will do the same to them. So that you could invite others, prostitutes, drug dealers, homosexuals. You could invite them to your house. That's a stretch, isn't it, for some of us? Huh? Come on, be honest. That's difficult. Because some of us were counted among that group. We were all lost, headed for torment in hell until Jesus came and promised us glory in heaven. So this message started out with two points. If you're lost, know that through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, today you can be found. If you will, like Matthew, believe everything and follow him. And secondly, to those of us who have been found, that the lights would come on that our duty is to preach the gospel. I mean, how are they going to know unless someone tells them about Jesus? That's your neighbors. That's your coworkers. That's your acquaintances. We have this not only privilege, but obligation to let others know what Jesus did for us, he will do for them. Come on, say amen. That today, the altar call, and I'm going to ask the prayer team, if you would, go to your respective areas. Basically, it's going to be over here and over here today. If you're lost and you need Jesus, I just want you to go. Just go over there with them. Nobody will know whether you're a prayer team member or lost. <laughs> but you go. But the second part of this message, which I believe the Lord has really sent me today, is for all of us to feel, oh my goodness, how have I missed it? <laughs> when was the last time I invited my neighbors into my house? When was the last time I shared the gospel? 
when was the last time I remembered that I too was once the scum of the earth, that I too was not counted worthy, that I too was looked upon by Jesus as having enough value, enough, enough in me that he would want me to follow him. I'm reminded now, and because of that, I want to recommit my life to serve Jesus with all of my heart and all of my mind, all of my soul and strength. If that's you, and you really feel like, oh my goodness, you know, I've been slow to, to the plate here. I need, I need prayer. Listen, do not let pride cause you to sit. Do not be held back by any little voice that says, oh, you don't need to go. Listen, Matthew got up and left everything immediately. Boom, just like that. And God is saying to us, I want you to respond the way Matthew did. Out of amazement that God would want you, both whether you're lost or presently found and suddenly convicted, that we are not doing all that God wants us to do. And I want you to go find a prayer partner and let them pray with you. Can you do that? Come on. You don't, I'm not asking you to bow your heads. I'm asking you to obey the Holy Spirit this morning. Would you sing while that permeates our heart? Finds us leaving everything to find us. Yes. Would you stand with me this morning? Come on, please, everyone stand. You see, I believe we're on point, we're on mission. That God has given us the Holy Spirit to awaken us to the reality that the world is lost. And we need to pull out all the stops because I believe the days are ticking. The minutes are ticking in these last days. Jesus is coming back. Don't look for America to be saved by its politicians. America is going to have to have an encounter with the living God, and you're the one that's going to bring that good news to us. Are we all on board? Would you lift up 
a hand or maybe even two. It says, you can count on me, Lord. I'll go. I not only will follow, but I'll go where you send me. I ask, Lord, that you would anoint us by the Holy Spirit. I ask that you would literally fill up heaven with those that you have sent us to. You'll go before us. Their hearts will be open, and we'll have the privilege of leading them to Jesus. Father, thank you. May your glory be resoundly personified in each of us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. Can you give the Lord a blessing this morning? We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God bless you. Turn to somebody and say, I'm sent. I'm sent. When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so Oh,